All right, we're here now with Congressman Todd Rokita. Thank you so much for being with us. You today. bet. You As bet. the Senate campaign continues, a lot of new campaign ads are out this week. You've got a new ad where you're, you're wearing the Make America Great Again hat, calling your opponents uh, rhinos, Republicans in name only. You've called Luke Besser out for not supporting President Trump back in the primaries, but now the AP has uh, unearthed this clip from an interview you gave uh, right here on this program uh, back in 2016. As we look at what Marco Rubio has done in the last couple of days, does he have a path moving forward as we sit here today? Oh, he absolutely does. You know, he's the standard bearer for the mainstream Republican Party, uh, but also for people who want the best candidate, especially when you see Marco uh, contrasted with Donald Trump. I mean, someone who's vulgar, you know, if not profane. The one that I knew that could help me help Hoosiers best was Marco. The other ones are great, too. And, and even if it's Donald Trump, I will be supporting Donald Trump. Uh, but <clears throat> Marco is clearly the best candidate. All right, I'm going to let you respond to that. You also said of Trump, quote, at some point you have to act presidential. Some may see this and ask, are you merely pandering to the president's base now? Is it fair to call out your opponents when, when you've said similar things? You know, because it's really my opponents who are pandering. I mean, that's why the Trump uh, Indiana team from 16 uh, is supporting me, because I was the only one that was with them pushing the president when it mattered most. When we were going against crooked Hillary Clinton, as, and I g give you credit for playing the whole clip, I even say back then, absolutely I'll be supporting the president. So, and, and we did. And, and thank the Lord, because I think we saved the country, those of us who supported Donald Trump. Meanwhile, one of my opponents was a never-Trumper. His finance team continues to be never-Trumpers. Luke Messer is the one pandering every vote he takes now has to be exactly in line with the president. He's got no choice. And I think that's a very unhealthy position to be in. Mike Braun, he was voting Democrat his entire adult life. He was nowhere to be found. So absolutely, the one guy in this race that was pro-Trump and that will be the best ally for Donald Trump is Todd Rakita. Again, in 2016, you called Trump vulgar, if not profane. Do you still find him vulgar? Well, I'll tell you what, he's not politically correct. And you know what? I've come to love that about him. That clip you're showing is early early, 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 and we're all allowed to pick, you know, who we think is the best candidate in the primary. Uh, but, and, and I, will, I like Marco Rubio. Uh, he, was, he was the one I did most of my legislation with. So I didn't know Donald Trump. But the more I got to know about Donald Trump, the more I appreciate the fact that he's not politically correct. Do you think that he's, he's changed? That, and in, I in love how he's going against the liberal media elite. And that's why people love him. That's why my voters like him. That's why I like him, because he's turning this thing on its head. And, he's, he's, and he has, there is no doubt, there is no doubt now that he is wanting to put the interests of America first. And that's why I support him. And that's why I support his policies. And that's why I'm going to be the best ally for him in the Senate. But is there a disconnect between what you said there? You also said Rubio was the right guy because he was uh, the Republican mainstream candidate, the standard bearer. Is there a disconnect with that kind of language and, and defeat the and elite I, and, and the way you're No, absolutely not. We're here to defeat the elite because we clearly understand. And President Trump has showed. And, and, and I was with Trump very early on, especially after Marco, who I knew best at the time. I didn't know President Trump at all. So people ask who I was going to support. I have to look first to those that I actually know. But now that I got to know President Trump and I got to know him early on and I supported him, I mean, it's all relative to who's, who we have to choose for U.S. Senate. And relative to these other guys, one a never-Trumper, one who voted Democrat his entire adult life, it's clear why Trump, Indiana, from 2016, 
supports, boosts, and backs me for this race. A columnist this past week from the Washington Post said, Rokita and his opponents have basically turned the primary into a competition over which candidate is the Trumpiest, <laughs> if that's a word. Uh, turning a Republican party, they said that was all about conservative purity earlier this decade into one that's more about Trump purity. Is that how you see it? No, I see a man who puts America first, number one, uh, who is turning political correctness, which I hate, on its head, and it is taking to task the liberal elite, the, the, the liberal elite media, and, and, and that is good, and that's a healthy thing to have. These people, we feel like we are getting our country back, and and despite 90% negative news stories on the man, which I, you know a lot of negative news stories on me, people are supporting me and President Trump because we have their backs, we have their interests first. You mentioned Mike Braun. Uh, he recently, in an interview with the New York Times, called you a quote smash mouth and said if Rokita's trying to act like Trump, it's kind of a poor impression. Uh, What's your response to that quote and to Braun's new ad calling I, I, you and Messer uh, one and the same, essentially? Well, I, I, you know, I don't know what he means by that. Smash Mouth is actually my word. I think he was, he was using. Um, I'm from Northwest Indiana originally, so we're going to get a lot of votes uh, that used to be Donnelly's coming out for Rokita. Rokita's like Smith in, <laughs> in Northwest Indiana. Uh, but there, um, I grew up watching Bears football and Mike Ditka, and he played, he, he used the term, I'm taking it from him, he used the term smash mouth football. That's how you're gonna have to beat Joe Donnelly. I've seen Democrats, that's how, I'm from Lake County, so I know how to beat Democrats, and I've seen them come in my entire adult life. Joe Donnelly, who's actually from New York, he's a New York Democrat, he went to Notre Dame Law School, um, he, the only way you beat guys like that is to take the fight right to them. And what I'm demonstrating in this primary isn't an impersonation of Donald Trump, it's, a person, it's an actual demonstration of how you fight to win. And I want to win and I want Joe Donnelly gone. You've, talking, you've talked just there about taking the fight to your opponents, but you've also said you will not attend the final uh, debate put on by the Indiana Debate Commission. Why aren't you going and isn't that a pretty big gamble to take uh, just days before? No, not at all, because I'm, going, I'm doing three statewide broadcast debates, the, the three of us are. So uh, we did very well in the first debate. The only people that score the debate scored it for me. We won it. We're doing two more statewide broadcast Why debates. Why go to the final debate? Because every time the, these guys who are in second and third place, every five minutes when they want to debate me, I shouldn't have to drop my campaign schedule where I'm talking to voters directly to go do a debate in a studio where I said, a public broadcasting studio, which I said ought to be defunded. Taxpayers ought to be, ought to be funding it, and, it, and not with neutral moderators. It's a debate that gets I, sent all across I, the state. I do it's neutral, not just on PBS. I do neutral debates with professional moderators and organizations. We're doing three of those. So in no way, form or fashion, and my time as Secretary of State and Congress backs this up, I've always been straightforward, I've always been transparent, and I've always been retail what I do. We're doing that now. And, and, and just because we're not doing one debate doesn't mean we're not debating. All right, we'll be uh, right back with more right after this. All right, you, you also uh, blamed Luke Messer in a recent ad for raising taxes a uh, billion dollars. Some have questioned that claim uh, because it wasn't cited in the ad. Specifically, is that in reference uh, to Governor Daniels' budget? And if so, Look, is that risky to bring someone like Governor Daniels? No, this has nothing to do with Governor Daniels. He's not running for Senate. I worked with Governor Daniels. He's a great ally, and we've done a lot of good things together. The fact of the matter is, and, and we can give you the citations if you want, I am the only guy in this race on the Republican side that has never, never voted to raise taxes. I'm the only one that's voted to cut taxes only, never raised them. And that is key because when you're sending someone to Washington, uh, to that place, 
you cannot send someone who's willing to raise taxes. The government is big enough. It has enough of our revenue. We do not have a revenue problem. We have a spending problem. Send the, and each of those guys is responsible for, for raising a billion dollars of your taxes at least. That's the fact. And so that's the point of the ad. You know, sending those two guys to Washington, D.C. will be like sending a drunk into a bar. You just don't do it. Lucas Oil Stadium, a part of that budget. Is that something you think uh, then? No, Lucas Oil, Lucas Oil Stadium is wonderful. The convention center is wonderful. Here, but here's the point. Everyone wants to, and especially these guys, in Republican establishment and Democrat establishment, the elites, they all think the same way. Let's grab people's property. Let's grab their money, grab more of it so we can do this great thing. But never the second question. What are we going to live with less? What are we going to return to the people so there's no new net taxes? That's an important question. A spending bill, same thing. We've got to have military? Absolutely. But what are we going to live with less of? Never discussed. And as a result, $1.3 trillion is put on the backs of the children of tomorrow, people who don't have a say in it yet. Yeah. And that is wrong. I was just going to bring up the spending bill because that's another distinction there. You voted against the spending right. bill. Congressman Messer voted for it. Who are Indiana voters going to side with on this issue? They're going to side with me because they, because you know what? Indiana voters have children and grandchildren, some of which they know who don't exist yet. And that $1.3 trillion is going on their heads. And that's why they need people like me, Todd Rakita, the, a courageous conservative, to dispel the cowardice that is the current U.S. Senate. Uh, the president's been going after Amazon a lot this week. Uh, it's hurt the company's stock price. Do you find that approach to be appropriate? And in some ways, could that put Indiana lawmakers in an awkward position with the state trying to land Amazon? Oh, I think we'll head? figure our way through it. I mean, we have to be competitive as a state, and that certainly includes uh, uh, suiting uh, Amazon. Um, but, you know, it's, it's also correct that if, if, if companies uh, aren't paying their fair share, and I, don't, I really don't know, I haven't delved into those, that data yet, to know whether that's the case or not, but if they're not paying their fair share, it's otherwise called crony capitalism, and that's wrong too. Uh, you support the president's move uh, to mobilize National Guard troops yeah. along the border. Uh, what about the cost there? Yeah. He's also talked about having the military help pay for the border wall. Do you find that to be a realistic proposal? I think it has, it's a necessary proposal. Look, any country worth living in deserves to be able to control who comes in. We want people to come here. The president wants people to come here. We want people to come, that come here to love America. We want them to add to our culture, add to our economy. Uh, and in, another reason of the many reasons to vote against this spending bill was it doesn't allow the president to build the wall that he saw the prototypes of down in, at the border just a few weeks ago. That's why Nancy Pelosi's grinning so much about it. He can't build it. So in order to secure the border, if we have to use the military and use some of that money to do it until we get the wall built, absolutely. What about the tariffs being put in place? Could that hurt the economy uh, in Indiana if, if a trade war emerges from this back and forth? Well, look, I, you know, I, I, I see the president's point. Uh, the trade war, we've already had it and we lost. We have the world's worst trade deficit. So trying some new things where the status quo hasn't worked uh, is okay with me. Uh, I want to be driven by data. If it unduly and un, uh, unreasonably affects one industry over another, we have to use that, take that data and make, make corrections for sure. But we shouldn't be making these decisions to not, to not try something new based simply on emotion. Uh, so I think that's the key. Uh, Donald Trump's tariffs are targeted, and I like that about him as well. So should, I'm supportive at this point. Should the president sit down with Robert Mueller? Should, you know, I, I don't know. I'll let his lawyers figure all that out. I do know this. I think the Mueller probe uh, has gone way beyond any kind of usefulness. The only thing 
that that probe has found is against the real culprit here, which we knew all along, which, he, which Donald Trump was talking, who Donald Trump was talking about all along, crooked Hillary Clinton, the, uh, the, the person that Donald Trump and I worked to defeat in 2016 when these other two guys were nowhere to be found and working against the president. One last question on current events. Do you want to see Scott Pruitt stay on at EPA, or do you think it's a time to make a change? After you know, I think he brings a very reasonable approach to the, to the policy side of it, uh, and I think uh, the pendulum has swung so hard to the left where that, that, that agency is used for political um, um, ideologues and ideologies uh, to go after the economy. Uh, where it's not necessary. Should you be renting so, an apartment uh, from, a, from a lobbyist, though? I, I don't know anything about that, to be, to, to, to be sure. Uh, but in terms of his, you asked me, the question was your job at the EPA. I don't Should know, about, I don't know yeah. about where he lives. Right. Um, what I do know about is the results that he's getting on the job, and I like them. Uh, last word on the Senate race uh, as we move towards this final month. Uh, but what, what will you be trying to point out, trying to highlight to contrast yourself from, from your opponents in this race? Well, I think our ads speak for themselves. You know, they, what, what your viewers need to decide is if they want a fighter in the U.S. Senate, if they want a courageous conservative who's willing to buck the establishment. There's a reason the establishment keeps me at an arm's length. It's because I don't always agree with them. I've always put this state, I've always put this state above any special interest. And that's what President Trump does for the nation. That's why we're going to be great allies in the Senate. Send some, but we've got to beat Joe Donnelly. Votes of Bernie Sanders 85% of the time. The best candidate to beat Joe Donnelly is someone that the state knows and who knows the state. We're driving 500 miles today alone, <laughs> 15,000 miles since the beginning of this calendar year. People know us. Uh, we love them. And that's how we're going to beat Joe Donnelly. Safe travels on Thank the you. campaign trail. Appreciate Thank it. you so much, Congressman yeah. Todd Rokita. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. I'm here now with Senate candidate Mike Braun. Thanks again for joining us today. Good seeing you. In one of your recent campaign ads that's yeah. uh, created a lot of buzz, you're walking around town with uh, two cardboard cutouts of, of Luke Messer and Todd Rokita, describing them essentially as, as one and the same in your words. But you have also served in public office at the State House. You, you used to wear a suit and tie there, right? Are you legitimately different from your opponents, or is this the stuff of a good campaign? Only ad? because I had to. So. <laughs> Uh, I've never worn a suit and tie uh, where I've spent most of my time, and that's 37 years building a business. So it was never comfortable having to put the tie on and uh, actually made that decision before the last debate where the recommended uh, garb would have been a blue sport coat and a red tie, and I made that decision about an hour before I went on the stage. Are so. you truly different from your opponents <laughs> in terms of public service, experience in public service? I think and, so. and the metaphor, I guess, in that, in that ad. I think definitely. And not only between me and my two opponents in the primary, Joe Donnelly as well. Uh, remember, I started a business back in 1981 and I'm still CEO of my company. And I've learned everything I know about what I want to take to the Senate in the real world. I call it the trenches of conservatism. My two opponents were all Wabash grads, did get their law degrees, never practiced their uh, degree and took it into the real world, and have been in a political job or appointed or elected ever since. And I think that's a different dynamic, and I don't think you can see the problems as they really exist. I run up against bureaucrats and politicians uh, building a little business that was only 15 employees for 17 years grew to 300 in 2008 and now 850 and we moved to California to open up shop there and 
I didn't think there was a place harder to do business with than the federal government when it comes to rules and regulations, and that's a difference. Is this, uh, is this legitimately a, a three-way race at this point, do you think? I think there's no doubt about it. In everything we see, we're leading the race and building a little margin because there is great clarity, even though we spoof it a little bit in a lighthearted uh, depiction of that critical issue. Uh, I think that's been resonating from the time I declared in August, went on air in November, and that message is meaningful because people want to see something different rather than the same folks from the farm system of politics when they've been part of the system and not given us solutions. And that's the reason they're looking to somebody like me. You hit back at uh, Todd Rokita this week about his comments uh, from this program two years yeah. ago. Uh, calling uh, then-candidate Donald Trump uh, vulgar. Rokita kind of hit back again, talking about your, your record of voting in some Democratic primaries. Right. Uh, what do you make of this, of this uh, latest dust-up? Let's take the first part of it. Uh, I think when you've been around as long as they've been in politics, the truth will come out. I know that was two years ago, but in kind of a hypocritical way, he has been trying to depict himself as defeat the elite. And when you were outwardly for Marco Rubio and you made a statement like that, I think that's gonna reverberate all the way to D.C. And the only thing you'll find me on record is that Donald Trump was an inspiration that actually got me to do this. Because I saw a guy from the outside, not a career politician, make it through the gauntlet of the 2016 primary the only one that could have taken Hillary Clinton out, and now you see that hypocrisy. And along with, Todd's also talked about his voting record. Well, he's voted with John Boehner and Luke Messer and probably a lot of times Joe Donnelly, and then changes his tune right in an election year. And I think that's a tough thing to do because people will see that. You'll get busted on that. I was a state rep for three years and a career businessman before that. That's a clear difference. He's also hit you uh, on the tax issue, saying he's the only candidate who's never voted to raise taxes, uh, hitting you for some of the votes on, on, well, the, on the gas tax. Go back to 2015. Todd Rokita says that uh, he would advocate for a federal gas tax and that he would encourage the states to do the same thing. And that, again, is out there on the public record. And I think voters... First of all, they're going to learn about it in an election like this. And when they see somebody that's a chameleon, you know, they're going to not trust that individual to be there. And, you know, Luke Messer, Todd Rokita, Joe Donnelly, they got to carry responsibility. They've been part of the system and they've got records to show it. And this stuff will get flushed out by the time the primary is over. And it's going to really be flushed out if they were, you know, in the general, and I don't think they could beat Joe Donnelly. The thing about the Democratic voting record, which Todd trumped up, that always, when you say something like that, he didn't even understand politics south of Indiana. Mostly conservative Democrat counties, like my home county, more culturally and fiscally conservative than most red counties traditionally in the center of the state. And thank goodness to guys like me, and Senator Messmer, lifelong Republicans that led the charge. We swept every race in one of the most conservative counties in the state as Republicans in 2016. Anybody that hears that, even in the center in the northern part of the state, 
makes perfect sense. Everybody in the South knew it. So I'm not sure we've had you uh, back since uh, the ad from a couple months ago yeah. that drew a little bit of controversy involving uh, the widow of the Uber driver who was killed in that crash yeah. uh, caused by an undocumented immigrant along with Colts player Edwin Jackson. Uh, she was critical of your right. campaign for using her husband's picture in that ad without permission. Do you regret looking back the way uh, you or your campaign handled that situation? First of all, never figured that someone who had just lost a loved one in that kind of accident, which definitely involved drunk driving and an illegal immigrant, uh, we would never have done anything that would have intentionally kind of gone against uh, someone that then did express. Uh, don't know how much of that was politically motivated or whether it was sincere. I think immigration is a very... You think the widow's motive may have been politically I don't, motivated? No, I don't know that. Okay. I'm, I'm thinking it was sincere. But there's been a lot of politics, of course, circling around that particular issue. And I think that uh, when we did it, we didn't think there would be a negative reaction simply because it highlighted a problem that uh, not only occurs in Indiana, but elsewhere. And immigration from everything we see is even a more important issue here in Indiana. The fact that we haven't done anything about it, more so than jobs in the economy, which is the th main thing I know and bring to the table because I've done that for all my life. But you've got to acknowledge things like that, Second Amendment, you know, the fact that I'm 100% pro-life, and you need to talk about those things because that goes into the total fabric of what you're going to do and what you stand for, what is your record when you go to D.C. On that topic of immigration, the president uh, this week ordering National Guard troops to patrol the border. I is that a move you support? And what about his uh, recent suggestion the military pay for some of the border wall? Well, I think, again, President Trump is... Uh, not conventional. He's going to look at solutions, even if it takes a little different pathway to craft it. Of course, we now know that uh, President Bush and Obama did take the uh, National Guard down to the border for various reasons. And I think Donald Trump sees that he did get a military budget at least passed, and that if it's not going to get done in terms of border security and securing that border and, and then addressing all the problems associated with it, I kind of like the idea. He's the CEO, and he's drawing funds from other places to correct a problem that everybody wants to see movement made on. Uh, on the issue of trade, Democrats have been calling you out this week. Yeah. Uh, they say your company has, in fact, done business with uh, foreign manufacturers, uh, companies from China. They're calling that hypocritical on this trade issue. Has your company, uh, in fact, uh, done business with Chinese companies? How does that reflect on this trade and when tariff we, situation? When we started, there were three employees within a company of 15 that focused on auto and truck accessories, and it was mostly truck accessories, probably six or seven, maybe ten manufacturers. 100% American-made, 100% small manufacturers. Over the uh, span of time, through trade policies that I think anybody that's been part of the system have to be responsible for, yes, there are some products that you can't even get them in the United States anymore. And 95% of the companies we do business with are American companies, just like my own company. Thousands of jobs, tens of thousands of paychecks, all here in the U.S. And I'm proud of the fact that 95% of the companies we do business with, which is way better than most other industries, are American companies. And the only reason these American companies would ever use a product made overseas would be the fact that it's the only place to get it. And I think you get guys like me in there that understand a global economy, trade, how that needs to be reciprocal, free and fair, 
maybe somebody can start changing the dynamic to bring more of those jobs back. I don't think you can count on people that have been part of the Washington scene that don't know any of the elemental issues associated with it. So how do you approach the situation on tariffs? Uh, do, do, do you tariffs, worry again, about a potential trade war here? I, I think that's being over-dramatized. I think President Trump, in his way of actually getting things done, he takes an issue, throws it out there. Of course, at first, everybody was alarmed it was going to be uh, a trade. I think it's uh, a negotiating tactic, more or less. It is. It's an approach. And yeah. everybody at first saw aluminum and steel tariffs everywhere. Of course, he aimed it where it needed to be aimed. And that's at a, a, a country that is benefiting from the global economy that is a significant trading partner, but always d never plays by the rules as a rule. Uh, industrial espionage, manipulating currencies, subsidizing industries, overproducing and then dumping the glut here in the U.S. President Trump did what he needed to do. It's in the context of free trade, which he knows is important, but he's using a little bit of a stick to make a point because other politicians have not had the nerve to do but it. But if these, this continues, these tariffs back and forth, if, does that hurt, does that hurt if, your business? It, it, to me, I think, uh, first of all, the, the amount of aluminum and steel that goes into any of the constituent uh, products that are made here, limited to China, is very, very small. Wilbur Ross pointed that out, and we all know that. The retaliation component is something that you've got to be careful with. I believe since China is more dependent on our economy than we are theirs now, they'll be very careful that, uh, about going down that road. I think it would hurt them more, and I think the one thing they've learned is that to be, first of all, they're now capitalists where they used to not be in their economy, and they're going to learn that it's got to be a give and take and an even playing field, and you can't get by with doing what they've done. Uh, do you think the president ought to sit down with Robert Mueller, and how would you approach that whole controversy if you're elected to the Senate? I think, first of all, uh, it's been mostly a fishing expedition. The House, you know, reviewed the same thing and folded up their tent. Uh, I think it's going to be incumbent on him to start showing some results that really get to the core of the issue. Was there any collusion with Russia? And I think it's being drawn out for one reason. There's no meat there. There's, and they are looking at anything tangential to the main topic, and they're not even finding much there. I think it needs for the sake of the country to come to a conclusion. Uh, he needs to find something related to the original purpose of it or fold up his tent as well. All right, we've talked about some of the issues in the news. Uh, final word on this Senate race, about a month to go. Uh, what do you have to do here in the final weeks to pull this thing off? I think I need to keep doing what I've been doing, which is uh, get up very early. It was a couple <laughs> weeks ago. I got up at a quarter to four oh my. in Jasper, <laughs> was at a breakfast in Avon, Indiana at seven, ended up going up to Lafayette later that day, and then the Monticello in White County ended up in Franklin Township uh, for a get-together, got to my sister's in Zionsville where I stay uh, when I'm up here, 9.30. I'm going to keep doing that. I'm going to keep getting our message out that until you get something different from business as usual and the people that represent that, do not expect different results in the U.S. Senate. And a guy like Ron Johnson, when he was there, uh, talking about the tax bill that was going to go through and a businessman actually got that to where small businesses were taken care of in, in that bill it looked like it was going to go down and help only large companies need more guys like him in there guys like me people that have lived in the real world uh, um, a senator like tom coburn who used to be there 
uh, term limited himself. That's the kind of folks we need to send there, not guys like my opponents who now have tried to get on the Trump bandwagon. The one was a never-Trumper from the get-go, and the other one we can see is even worse. You know, says one thing, and now he, we know that you know, it was disingenuous that he said back then that President Trump was vulgar and not presidential and other things that I won't go into. I'm sure that's going to get played. That's the kind of hypocrisy folks are fed up with. I go there, I've said all along, sincerely, that a guy like him making it through was an inspiration. That kind of truth, that kind of honesty, where you're not beholden to, first of all, lobbyists and PACs and uh, insiders. I'm getting support broadly from the state, from a lot of frustrated business people that aren't in the political game and just people that are sick and tired of business as usual. I'm going to keep doing that. Well, it's going to be a busy final few weeks on it the campaign be. trail. Safe travels out there. Thank you. Mike Braun, thank you so much. We're back to wrap things up right after this. Welcome back. Also talking today about the race for Congress in Indiana's 9th Congressional District. Three Democrats looking to unseat freshman Congressman Trey Hollingsworth. The two leading candidates in the Democratic primary have already been raising a lot of money out on the trail. We spoke with Liz Watson a few weeks ago. Today we're sitting down with candidate Dan Cannon, a civil rights attorney in southern Indiana. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for working us in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You look at what happened in the uh, Pennsylvania special election this year. Democrats there winning a district that uh, Trump won by 20 points. Can you win in this district? The incumbent, Trey Hollingsworth, won by double digits two years ago. Is it going to take a, a blue wave for you to win here? Well, you know, look, the blue wave is something that is um, a positive for us, right? You know, if we think that there's going to be a blue wave, uh, we think that there's going to be a lot of um, progressive energy, a lot of democratic energy in the district this time around. Um, but we can't depend solely on that. I mean, I think that we do have to do a lot of legwork um, to earn back the voters, you know, to earn back the votes of, of people in this district. And we got to do a lot of legwork to turn up uh, new voters and give them something excited about um, coming out to vote for, not just focusing on voting against Trump or voting against the other guy. You know? It is a contested primary. Why do you believe you're the Democrat who's best positioned to win? Well, um, I've been here in this district for my entire life, and I've been um, here on the ground representing people, you know, um, in my community, uh, mostly in the south, in New Albany, Jeffersonville, Clarksville, and those areas. Um, and I've good, got a good sense of how to relate to voters here. I mean, it's just kind of what it comes down to. Um, when I got out of law school, I went to work right away representing people in my community and trying to solve real problems on the ground for real people, you know. So I've been working on these problems in the Ninth District um, in Indiana for a long time, and I've experienced a lot of those problems myself, you know. So, I mean, I think a lot of what people are fed up with in terms of status quo politicians, we saw a major rejection of the status quo in 2016. Um, and I think a lot of what people are fed up with is being represented by people that don't understand what they're going through. So, you know, uh, a lot of times we, we don't have a, the choice to vote for someone who actually understands what it's like to ha have to uh, live paycheck to paycheck. And I've done that. Uh, you know, I, I was a high school dropout in Indiana for a while before I went to law school, before I put myself through college. Um, people don't, you know, like the, our elected officials don't understand what it's like to, to, to be saddled with decades worth of student loan debt. Um, and I've been through that. You know, and I was raised by a single mom in rural Indiana. Um, and I think it's, you know, those experiences and the experiences of my clients that I've been through here on the ground in the Ninth District um, over the last few decades, you know, have given me, I think, a unique outlook on things that you don't get by um, 
living in the biggest cities in the country and by going to the best colleges and you know working for the biggest law firms. So going back to that uh, Pennsylvania special election, Connor Lamb won that race really by running as as more of a moderate, as it turns out. Now you, you've called for ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, to to be abolished. Uh, you're also representing a number of individuals who are who are suing President Trump. Uh, might some people ask, are you moderate enough to actually win in, in what's often a, a red congressional district? Well, look, you know, uh, Lee Hamilton had this district for 34 years. So I, first and foremost, I, w I would challenge the, the premise that it's a red congressional More district. More recently. Yeah, you know, like I think, it's, I think it is a district full of people who are responsive to good ideas. You know, I'll say that. Um, and, you know, that's why we've talked about the things that we have, because we think that there are ideas that are, are good for the American people, that are good for the people of Indiana. Um, and if we don't ever engage people on those ideas and why we think they're good ideas, we never have the, the chance to convince anybody that we're right. You know, and so I think that we've been taught to really play it safe when it comes to progressive politics in places like Indiana and other quote-unquote flyover states for a long time. And I think we've done it to our, our detriment. Um, you know, there are a lot of good progressive ideas, and I wouldn't be running on those ideas if I didn't think that they were good, and, I, and if I didn't think that people in Indiana would be responsive to them. You know, one example, one major example that I can I can I can point to is the idea of uh, a, a guaranteed jobs program, right? When we first started running in, you know, over a year ago now, we started talking about running, um, that was considered um, an idea that was so far to the left that it was crazy, right? But as I get out and talk to people in the district, in all 13 counties, about the idea of a guaranteed jobs program, everybody is receptive to it. You know, so I think there's this idea of of what Washington wants to this idea of what Washington wants to impose on the people of Indiana, and that's very different from the reality of what's going on on the ground. People in Indiana respond to good ideas when you present them with them, and, you, and when you're willing to sit down with them face to face and explain those ideas. And that's what we're trying to do. The dynamics of politics are really changing pretty rapidly too, aren't they, in they terms are. of uh, ideas, different ideas, and whether certain ideas are considered uh, Democratic ideas or Republican ideas. I think that the Democratic Party has got a real opportunity now to be leaders um, and to, and to uh, be, not just be on the defensive all the time, but to present good ideas. And, and you know, to, to take these tough issues and hit them square in the teeth and say, look, you know, we've got good ideas. We've got a positive agenda for the future of America. This is the kind of country that we can live in. Uh, let us present you with those ideas. And, and, and as I said, you know, people throughout the Ninth District have been very receptive. I, I know you're not afraid to, to share your thoughts sometimes uh, on Twitter. This week you faced a little bit of controversy for a tweet you posted Wednesday on the anniversary of... Martin Luther King's death, you wrote, this is probably going to make you all mad, but in my opinion, the best way to talk about MLK 50th anniversary is to let people of color lead the conversation. Okay, bye. In response, somebody tweeted, this is not a black or white moment, it's a black and white moment. It can't be celebrated unless we all come together and speak up for one another. That was the dream and the mission of Dr. King. What's your response to that and to some of the backlash on this? Those, those are not contradictory statements. You know, um, I've worked in the area of civil rights for a long time. And, and, and something that I've learned um, as a civil rights lawyer, uh, when you're dealing with communities of color, when you're dealing with marginalized people, when you're dealing with uh, people that have been historically disadvantaged, is that when you're talking about issues of racial equality, you let them lead. I mean, just let them lead the conversation. I'm not saying that, that the conversation about racial equality in the United States is something that um, anybody can or cannot participate in. 
But I do think that um, when it comes to issues of race, uh, we should be letting people of color lead those conversations. It's something that we've talked about a lot on social media, and it's something that needs to be discussed openly um, and candidly and honestly. People can disagree with me. That's fine. Uh, you know, that's part of the conversation. You are a civil rights lawyer, as you mentioned. You filed one of the cases against uh, gay marriage bans that eventually became the landmark Supreme Court case legalizing same-sex marriage. Where, where are we as a country right now on civil rights and as a state? And what would you do in Congress to fight for some of these issues? Yeah, um, well, that's, that's a lot of different questions. Yeah. Uh, you know, where we are is that we're still... Um, striving for a sort of perfect ideal of American equality, you know? And I think that um, the marriage case, the opinion that brought marriage equality to all 50 states was a big victory, um, but it's just a rung on a very big ladder. And um, it's a ladder that we got to continue to climb. And I think we can do that through court cases. I think we can do it um, through legislation. But, I mean, the major um, challenges that we face um, here in Indiana, as throughout the rest of the country, are going to be cultural, and they have to happen on the ground, and they have to happen with tough conversations and face-to-face um, -face contact. Uh, some have called uh, this year's election a potential referendum on impeachment. Democrats, mm -hmm. if they take back the House, could be in a position to impeach the president. So I have to ask you, is that something you would want to pursue? Well, I mean, it's something that we should have serious conversations about, right? You know, um, right now, what you see from this Congress is um, a Congress that's utterly willing, uh, utterly unwilling, I'm sorry, to hold this president accountable for his actions or to hold, um, more importantly, I think at this point, the, the, the folks that he has put in charge of various executive branch agencies who do not even believe that those agencies should exist or that they should be fulfilling the mission that they're put there for. Um, you know, either you see no accountability uh, for those those executive branch officials. Um, and that's a critical mission that, that Congress is supposed to be fulfilling, and they're not doing it. So I, I do think, um, in, you know, regardless of how impeachment itself ultimately shakes out, there, there is a measure of accountability um, that has been lost in this Congress that we need to get back. Do you think there's enough out there in terms of the Mueller investigation or other controversies to to consider, uh, to consider approaching the topic of, of impeachment at this point? I think it's something that we should certainly take a long, hard look at. And, um, you know, if we, if we think that the, but, you know, the problem that we are facing right now is that there hasn't been enough serious investigation into any of this stuff because Congress is unwilling to do it, right? Because they're unwilling to take the positive steps that need to be taken to hold this president accountable and to hold the executive branch accountable for its actions overall. Um, so that has to change first and foremost, and then we need to reassess where we are. All right, so back to this uh, race for Congress. What do you got to do final month here to differentiate yourself from your opponent, your main opponent in this primary, Liz Watson? She's also raised a, a lot of money so far sure. on the campaign trail. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I mean, I think that, that we, you know, I respect Liz a lot, and I think that she's a very good candidate. Um, and, but I think that we are very different candidates. You know, um, I, uh, as I've said before, when we were talking about my background, um, I've been here for my entire life and I've been um, here solving problems on the ground, real problems that are really faced by uh, people in the Ninth District and I've experienced a lot of those problems myself. You know, um, I, I 
didn't go straight from high school into the best colleges and into the biggest law firms and into the biggest cities um, in, in the country. I've been here um, and doing this work here. So, I mean, I think there's a big difference between um, us as far as who we are as candidates and also um, our ability to relate to a wide swath of Indiana voters in a general election. You know, in terms of specific policy things, we, we've talked about, you know, we touched on a couple of different things. Uh, the abolition of ICE, um, that is, is a prominent example, a guaranteed jobs program, uh, you know, things that I think are good ideas for the future of America, things that I think are a good idea, that are good ideas for the people of Indiana. Um, that my opponents in the primary have not come out in favor of. And so, you know, um, I think that they'll eventually get there, but I'm proud to be sort of leading the way on those ideas and those discussions. Dan Cannon, we look forward to hearing more from you on the campaign trail. Thanks, Thanks so much for coming in. Appreciate we appreciate it. it.